So I'm super excited to announce that the Ultimate Journey of Self-Care has partnered with Flat River Infusions as a corporate sponsor. Now, who is Flat River Infusions? They are a North Carolina-based hemp and CBD company that provides all natural CBD products. The owner of Flat River Infusions, Nick Sagan, has a pretty powerful family story to tell. I would encourage you to go to their website, flatriverinfusions.com, and read about it. But just to let you know that Flat River's products are non-GMO, gluten-free, full-spectrum, and broad-spectrum CBD oils. There's a quality product that's grown in North Carolina, and you can't really say that about a lot of the CBD products on the market today. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what the quality control is. And you don't know what other channels those products have passed through before they actually get to you. Whether you're looking for a wellness product to add to your routine or an all-natural plant product, Flat River Infusions is here to help. Their products help support healthy body functioning, as well as help support healthy growing muscles as well. My favorite product is the CBD Herbal Salve which comes in a little glass container and you can literally rub it on your joints or any sore muscles. And within 30 minutes, you feel better. It's amazing. I love it and I use it daily and I would encourage you to do the same. If you are interested in checking out Flat River Infusion products, please go to their website at flatriverinfusions.com. And any purchase that you make when you mention our show, please use the coupon code CUFITNESS, the letter C, the letter U, fitness, and receive a 20% discount on all of your purchases. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ultimate Journey of Self-Care. I am your host, Allison Katzkowski. Thank you so much for joining me on this Tuesday morning. I hope that wherever you are, you are doing something fun and positive for yourself. And so now that it's July and summer is more or less on its way, if you will, I'm going to be interviewing, I'm interviewing a series of guests right now in which we are examining not just their personal journey, but um, and, I, and I do that really for a couple different reasons, but um, I always want people to feel free to share their story in this space, but I also want that story to be a lesson to all of you in which um, all of my guests just share amazing gold nuggets, hopefully that you can walk away with. And that is really my intention all through the month of July. Um, and so my guest today is Allison Penna. We were able to connect online. And, um, and I knew when I read her story and what she does that I wanted her to share it uh, with all of you. Um, she is a uh, consultant and a coach. I'll let her explain her story um, a little bit more, and then uh, we will go from there. So, Allison, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Allison. I so love that we're both Allison's. I know, Allison <laughs> with one L, too, I might add. To anyone out there listening that knows me knows that I'm particular about making sure my name is spelled correctly. So I, <laughs> I love when I saw it was Allison with one L. I said, I have to talk to this girl. So exactly. I felt the same way. Yeah. So, so Allison, um, tell me a little bit about your story. I know you and I have chatted about it some, but I just, I think especially, and, and the reason why I think this is going to be such a great lesson for so many people out there is, is as we come out of the COVID pandemic, and honestly, everybody's trying to define what normal looks like for them. You know, I know people who have lost loved ones. I know people who have passed away. I know people who have lost their livelihoods. And um, it's, it's so sad. But on the other hand, I also know that with the proper tools and the proper mindset is a lot of what we teach here is, is that you can literally learn to begin again. And so 
Um, I would love for you to share a little bit about um, your story, but um, bef- you know, to kind of kick us off. Absolutely. So I'm Allison Penn. I call myself Bad Widow because after my husband died, people treated me as broken and I felt broken. But before that, when my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and we basically fought for his life for 11 months, one of the things that we did was we entirely reframed our lives and we started prioritizing what really mattered to us. Because if there was a limited amount of time that we had together, we were going to do what we loved for that time. Yeah. Design your life on purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And so that meant spending time with people we loved. My husband was a painter who left me over 800 paintings. And so he painted more and saw his friends more. I had wanted to speak about my work on stages and sing in cabaret shows. And in the 11 months before he died, I spoke on three stages and sang on four stages. Wow. Yeah. And it was really, it's really important in these times. You talked about this last, I call it this last lost year of COVID where we haven't had as many interactions with people. We haven't had as many activities and it's been really strange. It really has. It's almost felt surreal on a, on a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, time alone has just felt very wiggly to me because yeah. you usually like anchor yourself. Okay. I'm going to work. And I have had to wake up and go, is it Tuesday or Friday? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the days have have definitely run together, I think, for a lot of us. Absolutely. And so self-expression was really key to thriving as much as we could in this time frame. So then he died at home in my arms and I was a widow. I had been I'd loved this one man for 25 years and then I was a widow and being treated in this way that was not who I was, except I needed to heal. I needed to contract a little bit and take a little bit of time to, to sort of process what had happened. Yeah. Well, like anybody, like any of us do who have been through a loss. I mean, I recently lost a really close friend who had um, stomach cancer and, and his, his last year, he lived about 11, almost 11 months after his diagnosis, maybe it might have been a bit closer to 10, but he, he really had to spend a lot of that alone because we were in the pandemic. And yeah. so I made a, a special point to try to reach out to him on several occasions, just to talk to him, you know, because I wanted him to feel connected to, you know, he was a member of our fitness community. So I wanted him to feel connected to all of us. Yeah, and that's made it even harder to be isolated in the in the middle of this thing has been even harder for people. And, yeah. You know, so you talked talk- you talked a minute about about how after your husband passed that people treated you as you were as if you were broken and as a result you felt broken. Talk to me a little bit more about what that was like. Like what that looked like and what it was really like. Uh, specifically what that looked like was that, um, I live in New York city, which is expensive. So I suddenly had 
an apartment and his studio that he had worked in for 30 years to uh-huh. cover the rent on. So uh-huh. that was a big breakdown. I bet. I, I um, from a, a physical standpoint, I couldn't count on my energy. Some days I had lots of energy. Some days I had no energy. Uh-huh. Um, my, I, I had lost memory. I had big gaps in my memory, which were really disorienting. They made uh-huh. me feel like, I couldn't trust my mind and I couldn't focus. And I had worked as a medical editor and proofreader reading hundreds of pages and, you know, remembering from page three to page 50. Right. And I couldn't do that. So there were all these breakdowns happening in my body that were really disorienting. And also I couldn't make decisions easily because I was used to having someone at my back. You know, one to kind of bat them around with. Yeah. Yeah. To, to sort of celebrate or, or commiserate if something's going wrong, you know, just someone there for you all the time. And then suddenly I didn't have that. Yeah. And so it was like a, like a, like a period, obviously a period of adjustment, but it, it sounds like it went a lot deeper than that too. It really did. It really did. It was so disorienting to not to be a person who was decisive and suddenly feel incompetent. And into that what happens is people pour their good ideas because it's human nature to want to help and want to fix things, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But someone would say, "Well, what can I do for you?" and I would think, "Bring my husband back." I mean, that's what I wanted. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, you were just being honest too. Yeah, except that that's impossible. And so it it leaves because people don't talk about this stuff. It leaves this void of support mm-hmm. where the person they're trying to support doesn't feel supported and, and might burst into tears, might lash out in anger. Yeah. And then people leave. Well, so, and I, and I just, you know, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just, no, go I, for it. Just, um, you know, I honestly think though, that people just honestly don't really know what to say. And I think that, you know, it's always a lesson to me um, when I'm when I have a conversation like this, like with you or like the conversations I have with my friend or, you know, conversations with other people. And that, you know, even when someone is ill in their last days and even after they pass, you really don't want to be treated any different. You know, you just you just want to continue conversations and connections so that you can continue with your life. And I think that's a it's really, I'll, I'll stop short of saying sad. I just, I really think that it's just, I think people just don't really know what to say and how to behave. I think they're afraid they're going to say something wrong or do something wrong. And so I think that it's a lesson for all of us and that, you know, the fact that we're all on this planet for a short period of time and, you know, we don't, why should we treat people any different? Yeah. And at the same time, if, if someone is, is ill and failing and you're watching them grow weaker, it's really hard for the person witnessing unable to do anything. Of course I can, I can only imagine. And, and it's really hard after someone's died to um, support the person who's left, because as you say, we don't talk about it. Yeah. And we don't. And so bad widow Basically, Bad Widow came about because 
I thought, okay, people are treating me this way because that's their best guess at what I need. Or it's something that they were just that they just accepted that as normal. And therefore to them, it, it wasn't any different than, than any, than someone else that they knew that maybe had lost somebody. It's just, you know, what I've learned about people when they make those assumptions and they say things is that, that they're coming to you from where they are. It really doesn't have anything to do with you. Exactly. They're doing their absolute best delivering what they think they would want in your situation. Yeah. The problem is it's usually wrong. And uh, so I, I was just going to say, absolutely. And, and Bad Widow came about because I, I, I thought, okay, well, I'm in the middle of this. I actually know what would be the right way to support me. And I started sort of bridging this communication chasm uh-huh. and communicating and saying, you know, here's actually what I need. So for example, people very often say, how are you? And I would think, how do you think I am? I just lost the man I loved for 25 years. Yeah. The future I imagined is now dust. How exactly do you think I am? Yeah. And you don't say that, but that's kind of the Of course. Well, that's just, that's completely normal. Right. So what I started doing was I, I started saying, actually, I can't answer that. It would be more useful and something I could answer if you asked me, how are you doing right now? How Uh are you doing today? Yeah. To give it enough of a finite horizon that I Uh could answer. That's an interesting, that's an interesting way to reframe what, you know, to basically to what we were just saying that the question that so many people ask and just don't think twice about how are you? Yes. But that's a very interesting reframe. So it's a and it's a it's a teachable moment, I think, for a lot of people too. Absolutely. And yeah. and two of the we were talking about self-care. The things that saved me were self-care and self-expression. So walk me through story. walk me through a little bit as um since some obviously some time has passed since when your your husband passed and now. Walk me through a little bit about your journey over the last several weeks and months over how you've just sort of given yourself permission that, okay, I have a choice. I can do this or I can do this. And this is what I'm choosing. Yep. The first year after he died was what I called a wasteland of grief. Uh huh. Um, bursting into tears at any moment, alienated a lot of people. So there's a lot of of people who can't either can't cope with the idea of mortality yeah, or can't cope with how long grieving goes on. It just makes so it just makes people uncomfortable because they don't, it's they so just don't hard. feel like they're in control and they can do anything. And they, and they, you, the thing that I was, the thing I became so convinced about was the goodness of people, mm-hmm. the innate goodness of people, because really people are doing the best they can yeah. to support you, but they just don't know what to do. Yeah, I right? agree. And and that was, on some level, when I could let that in, that was very comforting. <laughs> well, but you had, you, you had to process, you had to get to point with your, a point with your own emotions where you could process that in a way that was helpful to you. Yeah. Well, I don't think we do ourselves any favors when we don't allow ourselves to to process and manage our emotions. You know, we're we're so quick to move on to the next thing. Well, I I need to figure out a way to go forward, you know, and 
And you could have chosen that, but you didn't. You kind of let yourself sit with how you felt and look what came out of it. Yeah, I think it's really necessary. We try to uh, process it in our heads, Uh think our way past the grief, fear, anger, shame. Yeah. And in fact, these things, as you know very well, I expect, also live in the body. Oh, totally. It always shows up in your body in some way. Exactly. So if you don't take the whole person, we're not made up of little bits, you know, if you don't move the grief through the whole person. So I did a lot of um, movement modalities in that time Uh for self-care to move the emotions through my body, because I knew if I didn't, I, they'd get stuck. I sang, I went to open mics and I listened to songs and I sang because singing brings up emotions in the body so that they can be released. Yeah. Well, an emotion is what our subconscious remembers too. So when we need, when we, for, for example, when we, you know, we hit another road and, you know, we hit another roadblock in our life and it's never, I always teach, it's never a question of if it's a question of when, because there's always exactly. going to be obstacles. But when that next one comes up, you know, you've taught your subconscious that this is a place where you can go and, you know, feel happiness and feel excitement and, you know, connect to that part of your brain that is going to help you manage how to get through that obstacle versus just living in the place where you just, you know, feel all the anger and the shame and the, and the stress and the tension and everything else that goes with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's necessary to, to, you can't skate over it, but you also can't wallow in it. Totally. That's a, that's a great way to put it. I think we have to allow ourselves to feel it, but at the same time, we can't let ourselves stay there for very long. Well, you stay there for as long as, well, yeah, as it's stuck. I mean, that's the key to moving it through. Yeah. And, and it's different lengths of time. A part of the issue is that you're only allowed to grieve. Let's say you're allowed to grieve losing the person you love 25 years for about a year before people are ready for you to move on. Yeah. Except it takes longer than that. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's different for everybody, you know, people people process and manage grief in different ways, but what you, but what you decided to do as a result of this is not only talk about your story, but, you know, use this as an opportunity to, you know, allow yourself to begin again as well. And, and in doing that, you're inspiring other people to do the same thing. Yeah. The thing that I kept telling myself was this pain must serve. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I started moving through this and started wanting a bigger life myself, yeah, what happened was that I couldn't find anyone speaking from what I call inside the raw. People were talking from once they were through it, but that wasn't any help for me when I was inside it. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see your point. So what were some of the things that you did to get yourself to feel like you were beginning again, you know, walk me through what a typical day looked like for you. So in the beginning, in the first year, it was think of something that would bring me joy that Mm -hmm. day before I put my foot on the ground. Okay. So it might be make a call to a friend, go for a walk. And, and it was kind of a check-in with my energy, check-in with my mood. Uh I was pretty severely depressed. Totally. I can, I can, I can see that. 
So what did I have capacity for, but some small thing that would bring me joy because I wasn't starting from where I was before. Yeah. And so trying to act like I was there was unrealistic. And so I sort of went through and eventually I wanted a bigger life, but I couldn't do any of the work I was qualified for because I had no energy, I had no memory, and I couldn't focus. Uh huh. So I took a job in a friend's Halloween pop-up store, four-hour shifts. She was a widow, so she understood that I just didn't have energy for eight hours. Uh-huh. I mean, nobody else would have agreed to this, but she got it. And I started pushing out my life, you know, being with a few more people, doing a few more activities. Now, at the end of four hours, it would collapse at home well, in bed. But you're bas- you were basically trying to teach your mind and your body to begin again. So you have to start somewhere. To trust myself again. Right. Because I, I had a deep distrust of myself at that point. Yeah. Because my mind had suddenly gone. Yeah. With no warning. My body was suddenly not reliable. And it's really disconcerting when that happens. So that was kind of in the first year, it was just start pushing out and I I learned from breakdowns. So I had, um, I went out one day in my slippers and I walked almost two blocks to an appointment before I realized that I hadn't put shoes on. Oh, wow. And I only noticed because my heels were cold. And so then after that, there was a sign next to my door that said wallet, keys, shoes, glasses. I mean, these were all things I was forgetting. So every breakdown, I started designing solutions and started basically re-engaging in life, stepping out. Okay, if I want a bigger life, this is not just going to happen. Yeah, I have to act in some way that's different from what I'm doing. Well, and you you basically, too, what I'm also hearing you say is that you allowed yourself to sit with that. And then you made a decision that you were going to do something different. And so you did that before you acted. So your, your, so your choice was, was much more intentional. Very intentional. And, and the things that I did in terms of self-care and self-expression, which was writing, singing, movement, um, getting out in nature, these kinds of things, Mm -hmm a lot of what they were about was reminding myself that I wasn't just a widow. Yeah. And that you, that you had a life and you had things that you wanted to do and you wanted a way back to where you were somehow. Well, that's the tricky thing. You can't go back. Well, I mean, that's, that's not exactly what I meant, but the, I guess the general gist of what I was saying was, is no, I know you can't go back, but you, you wanted to, design a path forward from where you were. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was, that was a big revelation to me actually, because I, I hear people say all the time, I I wish I had what I had before. Mm -hmm. And the thing that freed me was realizing that that wasn't possible. Yeah. That I wasn't that person anymore. I was another person. Yeah. Well, of course you were, you were changed as a result of what happened. Yeah, but the, every single transition changes us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you think about it, good or bad. Yeah. So you're, you're single, you get married, you have children. Every single transition also has some grief to it. Yes. 
Well, and every, everything that you do in your life changes you as a person too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so there was this huge freedom in, in going, okay, I'm not that person. So I can actually reinvent my path from here. And yeah. I, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I was wound around this man I'd loved for 25 years, yeah. like a vine. So that was kind of the second piece of what I, what I do, how I work with clients was reinvent. How do you reinvent yourself? So, so, so where, so where are you right now then? I am, um, well, I sort of went through, I took back, well, until COVID shut everything down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah. My- let's, let's think about this from the standpoint of, um, you know, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, it, right. talk to me a little bit about where you are now. The last thing that I did, so I expanded back into work, back into relationships, back into doing things for my health, doing more walking. Uh-huh. Um, I I sing and I write for self-expression because if I'm not doing those things, I'm not healthy. Yeah. Movement, if I'm not moving, if I'm not getting outside, I'm not healthy. So because it was sort of essential, I came up with these benchmarks that I need to have in my life or I'm not healthy. And so I make sure that those are, are part of what I do. Part yeah. of, they go into my schedule. Yeah. I, I like to call those non-negotiables. The things exactly. that you know are, are vital to you being who you are, at least at this point in your life. And so it becomes a non-negotiable. Yeah. And what happens a lot is we, we all, as human beings, we get running so fast in the stuff that we're doing. Yes, absolutely. That we miss out on the being. Yes, absolutely. We're so focused on what's ahead, what's in the future, what's next week, what's next month that we forget about the day in front of us. Exactly. And, and it, and it keeps us from joy. The hardest thing I did was opened up to love again. Absolutely. The hardest so what does that look like now for you? Well, I have a boyfriend that I live with. In My husband died September 10th, 2016. In 2018, I decided that I wanted to start dating again. Now, the idea of intimacy freaked me out entirely. I can imagine. So I'm like, okay, I want to go out with men and I want to do stuff, go to a movie, go listen to music, have a meal, that kind of thing. Yeah. Companionship almost. Companionship. Because I needed to, again, I needed to push out. Yes. And it terrified me. I, I can imagine. <laughs> so, because when you, when you literally have had the person you love take their last four breaths in your arms, uh-huh. the idea of going through that experience with anyone ever again is beyond belief. But I also was not willing to live the rest of my life without love. So you gave yourself permission to be open to a new experience. I did. And within the limitations of what I could, what I could manage. Yes, of course. Because, um, so I, I got on Bumble. Now, the last time I had dated anyone except my husband was 1992. And it was 2018. Wow. I think times have changed just a little bit. <laughs> times have changed. Yeah. Yep. And I decided to get on a dating app and do it that way because uh-huh. I could sift and sort faster. Uh-huh. 
I still didn't have a lot of energy. Yeah. And so I didn't even want to meet the ones who weren't for me. I wrote my profile to describe myself as clearly as I could so that anyone who didn't want that would deselect themselves. Yeah. Well, you were just being intentional about who you were attracting. That's all. Exactly. Yeah. Doing it that way, I met the man that I live with now in six months. Wow. Well, that's a a classic case of you being, you were decisive, you were intentional, you were very clear on what you didn't want, probably as much as what you do want. Well, I, I was having such a hard time figuring out what I did want that I used the dating app to figure out what I liked. Uh-huh. And didn't like. Um, so it was it was also a learning about myself process. Sure. As I went through it. But I wound up, I couldn't tolerate someone's armor around my waist because it felt wrong. Because my skin was a company accustomed to only one person's skin for 25 years. Yeah, right. So it was I, I literally experienced revulsion. And I couldn't trust my own chemistry. So the trust thing was huge. Yeah. You know, not trusting my body, not trusting my, if I felt desire, the grief came up right behind it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it's, it. you know, trust is a muscle just like, you know, motivation is just like willpower is. I mean, it's, and in order for it to get stronger, we have to feed it with belief and emotion too. Exactly. And action. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, do something. So I just would press into my own boundaries. And I think that's true when you're, when you're exercising as well. Yeah. Because if you just stop where you always stop, then there's no growing. Right. Well, and this is one of the reasons why one of the cornerstones of what I teach is you know, where you are in a workout program or an activity program or whatever, it's a mirror image of how you approach problems in your life. I mean, you can be extremely driven at work, but if you're, if you don't take care of yourself, then that's going to, it's going to show up in other aspects of your life. Um, Absolutely. And so by putting your body through challenges in a physical instance, like a workout or a long walk or a hike or anything else that, that moves your body and allows your body to manufacture and manage energy, so to speak, it's always going to make you better at those other things in your life. It always does. Yeah. Because it's a matter of pushing your edges. Anytime you're pushing your edges, it enables you to do it in other places as well. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, it really is. It's, um, it's, it's one of the reasons why I keep I keep doing what I'm doing. I've been at this for over 30 years. So, wow. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a a key piece of my identity and who I am. And also, you know, how I teach and work with my clients as well. Yeah. Think about it. The thing about edges is, is they don't get stronger and better unless we push them, unless we polish them and, and push them out a little bit more. Then we really find out what we're made of. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is that we're always growing and changing. Yes, absolutely. Every day. And, and one of the things, um, you know, my mom is 83 and is an activist, but as a result, I've been in that community a lot. And there are the people who 
regret what they can no longer do. And they're the people who work with where they are and just keep growing there. Well, it's going to look different for everybody. You know, pushing an edge looks different for everybody. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be the same kind of edge. You know, maybe it's something else. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to recognize that pushing any edge is a win. Yes, I completely agree with that. After my husband died, my capacity was so small that if I could get out of bed and go downstairs and walk a block, that was a big deal. Of course. And it, and it definitely was a big deal. And I couldn't beat myself up because I wasn't walking 10,000 steps. Right? Well, we, we, start, we start from where we are and we work with that. Yes. And I think, it, I think it's really important to remember that we exist kind of on a continuum. We're always changing and moving and growing and contracting and integrating. Like this is an ongoing process as we live. Yes. And for me, the question is, how do you live fully from wherever you are? Yes. I love that. Because, you know, we spend so much time in, in the space of the past, you know, I should have done this, I should have done that, I wish this hadn't happened or whatever. And then, but we also spend a lot of time looking at the future. Well, this is where I want to go. This is where, what I want to have happen. This is what I want to be paid, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we do that, we're actually not even being, not, we're not just being intentional, but we're basically relinquishing control over the one thing that we do have control over. And that's today. Exactly. The, the Tuesday before my husband died, I was in a cabaret show. I cried through the whole show. Yeah. I was on the stage singing. Yeah. And the last song I sang was called The Secret of Happiness. Mm-hmm. And it was about how happiness lives in the present. And if you can get in the present, it changes everything. Yes. I did a, this little five-day challenge at one point which was about how do you, how do you get present with your five senses? Because if you think about it, if you're really looking at something and not paying attention to anything else, but looking at the details of what you're looking at, there is nothing else. Oh yeah. Well, that's just how your brain works. Your brain, when you, what you focus on, that's why that the old saying, what you focus on grows, you know, that's, that's a fact that's been proven in science too. Yeah, I I heard this woman speak, this woman, Chris Carr, and she had this illness. Mm -hmm. And she just at times in the course of this autoimmune disease that she has, which, Mm -hmm. you know, creeps along. There were times when she really disliked her body. And what she said she would do is she would take a patch of skin and love it. And I really loved that. The idea of if you can't love your whole body, just take a patch of skin and love it and then love maybe another half inch. Yeah, because the the point is, is that we 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 start we take a little bit and we we go from there. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Brilliant. So let's say someone out there is listening to our conversation um, um, and they're feeling they're feeling like they're really connecting to what we're talking about. They're feeling really inspired, but maybe they're just like, well. Honestly, I don't know what I can do today to start. That all sounds good, but um, it's just it's just too complicated. What what would you tell them? 
I would say it's baby steps. Uh-huh. It, is it take a walk? Is it listen to music? Is it just check in with yourself? And the body is actually a truer calibrator of this than anything else. What does your body feel like it wants right now? Yes. Because thinking won't get you there. And any baby step is to be celebrated. Yes, absolutely. It's like a, what we, we talk about around here is we, we celebrate all the wins, big and small. Yes, exactly. Well, this has been really, really fun. I'm so glad we were able to connect and, I, and I'm so glad you were able to share your story and your perspective. Um, tell me, where, where can people find you? You can find me at badwidow.com. Badwidow.com. That's, that's a, I don't think that's something that people forget when you say that. (laughs) No, it's excellent. I never have to spell it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) I can, I can see that. Do you have anything coming up or do you have any, anything that you would like to share with my audience? Yes, I have two things coming up. I'm building out a six week course, which is going to include a lot of the things that we talked about. Okay. And I'm also writing a book, which will come out in September called The Bad Widow Guide to life after loss, moving through grief to live in love again. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'll have to have you back when, when you release your book. So awesome. Well, thank you. We'll talk a little bit more. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you making time. Thanks for having me. And good luck with your, your course and your book and all that. I look forward to hearing about that later on. Great. Fabulous. So if anyone out there is listening and feeling really inspired and wants to reach out to Allison, um, please feel free to find her at badwidow.com. That link is in the show notes. And keep referring back to that if you're if you think that her six-week course interests you or or anything along those lines, you can reach out and find her um, at her website. So all of that is in the show notes. And also, if you're out there and you are not yet in my private Facebook community, please come over and join me there, Living Your Ultimate Life Through Fitness and Self-Care. Um, our conversation is just, a, is just one way to look at how you do self-care. And one of the things that we talk about in this show, in this space, on a regular basis, is that self-care is individual. It's as individual as you are, and it should be. It shouldn't be just like someone else does. Um, But it's also a journey and that journey should have flexibility and it should be adaptable to meet you where you are. And the conversation that Allison and I had today is a classic example of how we have to give ourselves flexibility and permission to change based on what we find works for us. So, So I hope that if you are still not in my Facebook community, you'll come over and join me there. You can find me on Instagram at fitstylegal. Um, and we have a couple of destination retreats coming up this year. So if the COVID pandemic has you ready to travel and to uh, do something different for yourself, a retreat is a great place to begin. You can find all of that at cufitnessretreats.com. You can find all that in the show notes as well. We are heading to the North Carolina mountains, the end of the summer, and we are also headed to the Caribbean in October. And we are slowly putting together a long weekend down in the Florida Keys for the end of the year as well. So if any of that interests you, please reach out. We do have a few spots left for both trips, but spots are filling up. So if this is something that interests you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. And also, I just want to offer up that if you are interested in talking with me, if you want to share anything about your self-care journey or you're interested in being on this show, please reach out to me at Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N 
at cufitness.com, the letter C, the letter U, fitness.com. And uh, just tell me, tell me what's working for you. Tell me what's not working for you. Um, People need to hear other people's stories. We learn from what other people are doing. We learn what from what has not worked for them as much as what has worked for them. So this is why telling your story is important. The world needs to hear your voice. Um, This is Allison Katzkowski again with the Ultimate Journey of Self-Care. Thank you so much for all of your support. We are coming up on our two-year birthday, which is in, in August. And we are at episode 100, which is a huge milestone for us. So I am super, super grateful and thankful for all of your support. We are heard around the world and we are heard by more and more people every week. And I could not do it without you. So please continue to tune in. Um, I love hearing from you and I love being a part of your journey of self-care. This is Allison Katzkowski with the Ultimate Journey of Self-Care. You are one step closer to living your ultimate life. So make it a good one.